Hey, thanks for tuning in to this episode of You Really Shouldn't Have. Just a quick warning to say the following episode does contain some strong language, which some listeners may find offensive. Thanks and enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of You Really Shouldn't Have. So during the planning stage of putting this show together, I threw a post out on Reddit on their podcast message board, which I called, What is the worst gift you've ever been given? And I gave a few details about the show and how to get involved, etc. And what it's become is this huge thread of replies of people sharing their stories with me about their really shit gifts. It's been really fun to read through. So I've gone through and I've picked up my favourite one so far which is from a lady called Mary, which I'll share with you. She's put, My mother gave me a toilet brush once for Christmas, and my husband gave me a vibrator in a restaurant whilst my school-aged children were present at the table. Take your pick. Well, I mean, I don't think anything gets worse than uh, receiving a sex toy in front of your children. I can't think of much worse. I'd love to hear your own stories of your own terrible gifts. You can get in touch via Twitter or Instagram at BadGiftsPod or via the contact page on the website, which is BadGiftsPod.com. My guest this episode is stand-up comedian, actor and podcaster, Jonesy. I had so much fun recording this one with him, I haven't laughed so much in a long time. We discussed a whole host of things from stand-up comedy, terrible gifts, allergies and even a certain 70s disco trio got to mention. So enjoy, here's Jonesy. Jonesy, thanks so much for joining me today on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm a, it's a pleasure to, to be here. What time is it over there, by the way? It's one o'clock here. Right now it is five past nine in the evening. Oh wow, you're really you're really staying up late and burning <laughs> the fuel for me tonight, James. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here and and I'm looking forward to talking all about your comedy career and your acting career as well. So in terms of stand up, when did you start doing stand up comedy and what was the inspiration behind you wanting to give it a go? I started stand up in 2004 and the reason I wanted to give it a go was I witnessed my roommate try it and uh he's an idiot and <laughs> and he he did he was actually okay at it. I went to, I don't know if you've ever had the experience, James, of going to one of these comedy open mics, but it's like watching the worst train wreck you've ever seen. So uh, I saw all of these comedians doing this open mic, and it was just the, the worst shit I had ever seen in my life. And I thought to myself, if these, if these people can do this, then, I mean, I'm surely I can come up with some better material than what I'm seeing this evening. And uh, I had the luxury of witnessing firsthand my roommate putting together a set list. He kind of, he actually ran his jokes by me and I gave some input. And so I already kind of thought I had uh, sort of a skill for this because I thought I was giving some pretty good input. And uh, at the time I was in a, in a band, I was a musician, I, was a, I sang in bands and I already was from, had a, a stage presence, and I was already familiar with being on the microphone. So I just thought I would try this as a side hobby. And then I, it's something that really grabbed me from the get-go as a, as a performance art. Uh, I really found it exciting and thrilling. Uh, more thrilling than the being in a band, I have to say. It was way scarier, as you can imagine. You know, I'm up there, you're up there all alone. You know, whereas in a band, you have you're you kind of you're part of a team, and so some of the some of the pressure is alleviated from you. It's sort of dispersed among five of you or four of you, rather than just all on your own, you know. But in stand up, all you have is yourself. So it was very thrilling, you know. It really made my heart race on stage, and I hadn't felt that in a long time, you know. Not since I first began playing music live did I feel that way. So, uh, and that's a that's an adrenaline rush that can become addicting. Uh, um, as you know, I'd imagine. And so uh, I started doing more of it. Um, and then it, it, then I kind of got out of the whole music thing and just concentrated on doing stand-up comedy because I just thought it was so challenging. 
And I still to this day find it so very difficult. I have, I've been doing this for over 10 years and I can't, I can't seem to get a grip on mastering this art. It's just so hard. You know, it keeps me going. Do you remember your first gig well? If you go back all, all of those years, do you remember the first time you did it quite well? I mean, the first gig, the, I mean, you call it a gig, but it was, my, it was an open mic, really. And, uh, and it, it took place at a, at a bar at a hotel in, in downtown Boston, uh, where I'm from. And it was about, I mean, I was telling jokes to the bartender and maybe four customers and maybe a couple comedians in the back as well. Although most of them were behind a curtain in in a side room, kind of just joking around themselves. Um, So there was probably a total of seven bodies in the room. Uh, There was no stage. They just kind of put a spotlight on you and you held a microphone next to one of the tables in the, in the lounge area. Uh, And this is right near Fenway park. And it, it was a horrible experience, really, because I couldn't get the feedback that I wanted. You know, I, I, I worked really hard on these jokes, and I'm like, oh, people are going to love these jokes. And then, you know, there was really no audience to really bounce this material off of, you know. So it was like I was kind of just telling jokes in a vacuum. Um, and so that made it much worse, much worse. Because, you know, if, you, if I could have got a couple of laughs from a nice size audience that would have gave me some confidence, but I didn't get that experience at all. It was, it was basically me talking to a very quiet room. Um, and it seemed like everybody wanted to be somewhere else. Um, it was that kind of situation, but that's kind of like very common in the world of stand up comedy. Usually your first, if you want to call it a gig, you know, it wasn't paid of course. Uh, it usually the first show that you do is, is, has those qualities, you know, they just make you feel like shit afterwards. And, <laughs> and, and you're put into a position right away. And you ask any comedian, they'll tell you that they felt the same way. Like that was painful. Uh, should I try this again? I mean, it, it really, it's, it really draws a line in the sand that first performance, cause it's going to be horrible. And you have to make that decision. Do I want to try this again? Uh, and, and of course I, I, I wanted to, um, <laughs> cause I guess I'm crazy. <laughs> Have you got any stories of strange or memorable heckles from audience members? I had a very memorable heckle uh, once when I was on stage in Boston at a place called Nick's Comedy Stop. Uh, a woman, at the time I had, uh, some, I had long hair, like kind of like a skater, skater guy, uh-huh. you know, like I was a skater boy. I had long hair and I wore a, a baseball cap backwards, so my hair was dangling down. You couldn't see my, you just saw the bottom of my hair, really. I look like, you know, you ever see uh, Jay and Silent Bob, you know, and he's like, <laughs> I, I, I look like Jay, Jason Mewes. That, that's what I really look like. So I had this strange heckle from a drunk woman. She just kept, she just kept saying, mullet, <laughs> mullet. I'm like, I, I had to say, what, what are you saying? Mullet, you got a mullet. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't have a mullet, honey. <laughs> I'm wearing a hat. My hair is long underneath, but not. I had to take my hat off to show I don't have a mullet. And uh, I don't remember. What was my comeback for that? I, I told her, your pussy has a mullet or something like that. And everybody laughed at that because imagine a pussy with a mullet. That's pretty funny. What does that even look like? It doesn't even make any sense, but it was funny. <laughs> that was the strangest heckle I ever had. Another time I had a – it wasn't a heckle, but I got off stage once and I was very new and I was just – I was doing so many strange, trying so many strange things on stage. And I was (laughs) so embarrassing, but I I was one of the 
I was doing a joke about the Bee Gees. You know the Bee Gees. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're from the UK. You should know about the Bee Gees, right? <laughs> isn't isn't uh isn't that guy? He's a uh, he's a uh, he's royalty now or something. They they made him like um what do they do when they make you a uh, they knight you I think. So I was doing this joke making fun of the Bee Gees and how the joke was like how they how did they all decide to sing in falsetto? Because to me it was always so strange. You know this was one of the only bands made up of all men that was singing in falsetto. You know, and and so I was kind of doing it was really bad impression and I'm singing and like this was my whole it was a terrible bit. But I was very, very new a year into comedy, not even. And I was using my musical skills as a singer because I couldn't write jokes so well. Like I could kind of write jokes, but I was like using some of my other skills like singing and beatboxing to just kind of add flavor to these these jokes. Uh So I did this joke about the Bee Gees and why why they decided and I acted out a scene of them in in band practice, figuring out that it's just much better to sing in falsetto. And then afterward, a woman, after the show, a woman comes up to me. One of, the, one of the Gibbs had just died. I think this was like 2004 or five, And she was upset. And she said, you know, I think it's very insensitive of you to do that joke. One of them just died. And they, you know, that band means a lot to me. And you're, you know, it's just long speech. And I was so new at comedy that I just kind of list, took it in and was like, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I, you know, and what I should have said was, you know, go fuck yourself. All right. It's just a joke. And I'm not making fun of them as people. How could you ever take this personally? You dumb American, you know what I mean? Which is what I should have said. But, um, I, you know, at the time I just was, I was easily critiqued and just, I didn't really know what I was doing. So I thought I did something wrong. But when it's, you know, it's as if the joke was, Hey, let's make fun of the Bee Gees. One of them just died. How dumb are they? You know, which wasn't the bit at all, but you know, people, people will cherry pick something out of your act and really take it personally because, you know, people just don't, we don't all have the same, we're not bringing the same dictionary to every show unfortunately hey i learned something on on the call here uh, barry gibb is is in fact sir barry gibb you were right i yeah. didn't yeah see it's sir barry gibb i knew that i knew he had a he was he was knighted or something i knew that yeah, yeah. i didn't even know i didn't know he'd reached that level i, I just oh, didn't man. expect he's it big time he is so big time i did some research on him because i'm just so fascinated i was so fascinated with the guy you know i think he's you know when you know the songs that they wrote, but then I found out that he's written a lot of songs for many other people, including a lot of female artists. And I just I was blown away by this guy Barry Gibb, and I I, I kind of took a deep dive. And I do remember a picture of him with like a a crown on or something. I just, like I'm like I, I think this guy's been really celebrated in the UK as it should be. Jesus, the guy is so talented. You currently write, produce, and host your own daily news podcast, which is called Weird AF News. What is the show about, and how did the idea come about? Well, Weird AF News is a daily weird news show um, where I, I do three segments of very odd, strange, offbeat stories from around the world. And the show came about when I applied for a, a job for a company that was creating audio content and uh, they were looking for writers. They wanted some funny people as well. So I, I submitted my writing packet. And, uh, you know, I'm always as a comedian, I'm always looking for writing, writing gigs because I can create something out of nothing. And usually it's, I can make it funny, you know, and, and with a little help, it can even be funnier. So I thought I would apply to this gig. They were looking for hosts for a new podcast platform and they, they wanted people to pitch show ideas. And I pitched this idea for a show where, you know, you do weird news and you make it funny because you have a comedian hosted. So you do the weird news story, something current that had just happened from anywhere around the world 
Um, and there's no shortage of those stories these days. And then you do you do a take on it. You sort of give your opinion on it um, as a comedian, or you act it out. You know, you do you know you, you just sort of add some funny flavor to it. And they like the idea, so they they let me begin, and I got paid to do it. I did that for about eight months for them. And uh, then after the paid series was up, they said, you know, hey, you're doing a great job with this podcast. We can't pay you anymore, but you want to keep doing it. You've cre- you've built quite an audience, and I decided to keep doing it. With it being a daily show, how long does it take you each day to say pull the content together? And have you found that more difficult during the current global crisis with maybe people not doing so much crazy shit as they were when they weren't forced to stay in their homes? So to do the podcast, usually uh, at the beginning, like every other day, I'll, I'll go scour the web for weird news sources. And I also receive stories all the time submitted to me from, from fans and followers of the show. Um, I mean, I'm probably getting 10 stories a day sent to me through either Instagram or my email or Facebook uh, or even Twitter. Uh, so I'm getting weird stories all the time sent in. It's a chore just choosing the stories because I have so many to go through. In fact, I have so many weird stories in my cachet here that I, I record a bonus episode every month where I do over an hour of the stories that I never got to, like sort of like the B-sides. And, uh, and I'll do that with a, with a I'll, I'll get together with another comedian and we'll, together we'll, we'll do the stories. And I, I offer that on my Patreon as a bonus episode, my Patreon patreon.com slash weird AF news. And even then I have so many stories left over because the world is just such a strange place these days. Once I get the stories uh, saved, then the morning of I'll sort of bring them up on my laptop and I'll kind of browse through them and I'll choose three. I don't even really read them ahead of time. I just jump in with the three stories I got and I'll just, I'll just start reading it and giving like doing an improv improvised take on it. And I don't do too much prep and, and that saves me time. So in total, with the recording, it's probably 45 minutes a day to an hour between the recording the episodes and editing it together and getting it out. I do it in about an hour, a little under. And so it doesn't take too much time. If I fuck up really badly, I'll re-record it. Re-record the whole thing. The whole thing. But usually I'll leave in the pauses. I'll leave in you know the sounds of a helicopter flying over my head because I live in Los Angeles and it can be noisy. And, and I don't know. I find it kind of charming to just leave the mistakes in there and uh, I think the listeners, I don't know, you, if you want polished news, you can go to NPR and get that and, and nobody will fuck up a word and everybody sounds like they're uh, like a goddamn robot, you know what I mean? Like a perfect, sure. uh, you know, a 2001 Space Odyssey. No, Dave, I won't, you know what I mean? It's like, uh, if you want that, you can go and get that. But I want to sound natural like a friend talking to you in, in your house or something. And so, uh, you know, I leave my mistakes in there. I leave my stuttering in there. Um, I, I voice my... When I have a, when I'm confused, I voice it. When I have a question, I, I ask it, and you know, and I, I and I admit throughout that I'm an idiot and don't know anything and don't know what I'm talking about. But I'm trying to figure this out as I go through the article in real time. It's so as though the person and me are trying to learn about this subject um, together on the show. And then, lastly, with the coronavirus, the stories they're still very weird. They're just virus weird. Like there's a lot of weird virus stories out there. And I like them because they are very weird. What I'm not crazy about these days is it's been a bit of a struggle to find stories that are weird that aren't virus related. I guess the, ag- the news aggregates that I'm using, they pull the stories in a, such a way that they're usually grabbing the top, let's say, 50 to 100 most popular stories. And right now, those popular stories are all virus related. So there are weird stories out there, but they're just being pushed down 
and I'm not seeing them as much as I am the virus stories. And I'm, I'm kind of okay with that because the virus stories are super odd, man. Like they're very strange. Uh, but I, it does require a little bit more work these days because I do want to dig a little bit and find at least one story a day that isn't virus related um, to, to include so that it's just not all flavored with coronavirus because uh, I want to differentiate myself from mainstream news, um, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and so why remind us of the virus again and again like mainstream news is. Okay, Jonesy, let's talk gifts. What is the worst gift you've ever received? I'm allergic to nuts, James. Now, I know you. I know people in Europe have no idea what that is, a nut allergy. I don't know why. <laughs> Apparently, it's just an American thing. And I find out every time I travel, when I go to a restaurant and I say, I ask the waiter, hey, are there nuts in that? And then they say, why? Who gives a shit? Aren't nuts delicious? Who cares? And I'm like, no, you don't get it, man. If I eat a nut, like I'm in trouble right here. Like, People in Europe don't seem to have any empathy at all for the nut allergy, which is, which is a goddamn shame. Because let me tell you something, it's going worldwide, baby. And it's going to be over there someday across the pond. And you're not going to be able to eat certain scones. And you're going to be upset as well, okay? So I, I did get a, uh, a birthday cake. It had nuts all over the damn thing. In defense of the person that got me the cake, I don't think they knew. So, you know, the thought was wonderful. But had I not known that there were nuts in it, if I just sort of do- dove into this cake, it would have been, I would have been hospitalized on my birthday, which would have been terrible. So that's the worst gift I ever received, I guess. It's probably the worst gift anybody could receive because it could kill you. Absolutely. <laughs> With a nut allergy, do you, do you find whenever you take flights, they have to like announce that someone on the plane has a nut allergy? You know, I'm not that much of a dick about it. Like, I don't, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't, you know, I'm not the guy that like has to, I feel bad that people have to, oh man, see, this is, this is, and this is a non-American attitude where I don't feel like I have to impose this on large groups of people, you know, uh, like I'll, I'll just deal with it on my own. In other words, some people would like that have a nut allergy. They expect the world to cave into their needs and change on some level. So like if they go to a nut party, they, they expect the nut party to be changed to a nut free party because I'm there, you know, push my nut allergy and make the world bend to me, James. So you'll never catch me on a flight letting them know, Hey, I have a nut allergy. Could you tell every single motherfucker on this plane to please not open the bag of peanuts that you're about to give them? I just don't put nuts on my skin or in my body. Just like, I mean, that helps, doesn't it? Yeah. That that helps. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to delay people's lives and make everybody slow down because of me. I just feel like that's ridiculous. The people that do that, they don't have my respect. And I'm speaking from someone that has this debilitation and I can tell you there's no need to make the world stop for you. Okay. You can work it out. Just, you know, just got to watch yourself. Nuts aside, what is the worst thing that anyone could buy you? I guess the worst thing that you could buy me is tickets to a stand-up comedy show. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Because, first of all, I, I've seen so many stand-up comedy shows that I really don't, I have no interest in seeing anymore. <laughs> uh, and I certainly don't enjoy going to a comedy show as a spectator after doing it for so many years. It would be like if you're a NASCAR driver and then someone was like, hey, let me bring you to a NASCAR event. And you're like, ah, well, you know, I'm a driver and this is like, I'm used to actually being behind the scenes and on the track. So being in the stands right now isn't really an upgrade from my normal experience. Uh, and the other reason is I, if you paid for me to go to a stand-up comedy show, that would just, that would just make me so angry because I, 
I mean, I can go to any comedy show I want for the most part as a comedian and I never have to pay. That's one of the perks of being a comedian. You can go to, to shows for free and you can hang out, you know, usually in the back or in the green room. If you're a comedian, you get that. That's one of the perks. So if you went out and bought tickets for me and you, know, you actually paid for the comedy show, I mean, that would just make me even more angry and I wouldn't want to go. Um, so yeah, that would be one of the worst gifts I think you could ever get me tickets to a stand-up comedy show. Get these tickets to a music show. That's I'm down with that, or a or a theatrical event, or a burlesque show, or one of those shows down in um, Vietnam or something where the women blast ping pong balls out of their vaginas. Like, that, <laughs> give me a ticket to that show. You've also done some acting work alongside your stand-up. Is that an easy thing to transition between the two? And is there one that you ultimately prefer doing more? Well, I enjoy stand-up more because it gives me more control. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really a writer at heart, and I really want to participate in the creation process as much as possible. In fact, I've written and directed a lot of YouTube videos and, and put me and my friends in them. You can find them on my website, jonesy.com, under videos, and you'll see a lot of video sketches because I like to write and act together at the same time. So in that sense, I love it. It's, it's, it's actually can be more fun than stand-up. Um, but when it comes to just acting, when I'm in somebody else's project, sometimes it can be less fun than the stand-up because I'm not allowed to be really part of the writing process, which I love. Because I, I always think I can bring an extra joke to the scene or something, a way to make it funnier. And depending on the director I'm working with, I may not be able to participate that way. Um, not to say that I, I, I can't bring something else to it, because as an actor, you can still bring your character to the scene as well. And you usually have control over that. But I do like to write jokes and, and bring in ideas to scenes and stuff. So in that sense, I, I enjoy the stand up more because it gives me total creative control. But what's really fun about acting, and I don't get in the stand-up, is um, the thrill of working with others, of playing with other people. That is something that you don't get with the stand-up because you're all alone up there. And that can be really thrilling, uh, just uh, playing with others, you know, bouncing off somebody else's energy, and uh, especially if you're allowed to improvise a scene, you know, and, and you and another person or a, or a couple other people working together to create something out of nothing is it can be very very thrilling another thing that's more thrilling about it is sometimes you get to be with like a superstar so that's really cool too you know uh, like i spent the whole afternoon with tina fey who's a, who in my mind is like she's on the mount rushmore of of comedians you know the, the woman can do anything sure. act act write produce uh you know she can she's been an executive producer on major shows she was the head writer at snl she can act and perform comedy, write comedy. I mean, she's, some, she's very, very special. And so being able to work with someone like that as an actor was a major thrill. So they're quite different, um, and there's some pros and cons of each. Overall, I do like the stand-up because I, can, I have total control. But then those moments where I've been able to work with these superstars, and I mean, that's just like, wow. You know, my grandchildren are not going to want to hear the, my moments on stage where someone's yelling, mullet, mullet. You know, they don't. I mean, maybe they do. But I think they'd rather hear the time that I, I accidentally took a sip out of Tina Fey's, you know, Starbucks coffee and like uh, and then had to apologize. Although who knows, my will my grandchildren even know who the hell Tina Fey is at that time? <laughs> Probably not, you know. You mentioned superstars and I wanted to touch on another because I know you worked with David Letterman within your career. 
Was that sure, a, yeah. was that a daunting prospect to work with such a big name star? And what did you take away from the experience? So uh, working on the Dave Letterman show was daunting, not because it was Dave, but because of the pressure of working in a live television show where you only have one take. You know, anybody working on those shows, a lot of times you don't even really, you barely have a rehearsal. You really, really do. I mean, it was basically, hey, you're, I'm in a room, I'm in the green room, I'm supposed to play David Letterman's son. I'm going to have a freak out in the green room the camera's on me and it's going to be live when they cut to me. So it's one take do or die. So they tell you that like they, I kind of have a rehearsal, but really the rehearsal was just them talking me through what's going to happen. And I had to memorize my lines and remember what was going to happen and how much time I had to get through it. But there's really no rehearsal. That's the pressure on working on a show like that. It wasn't so much that it was Dave. It was so much that like, wow, I have one take and 4 million people are watching this like super, super high pressure situation. Um, working with Dave, I, I can't really speak to it. it it's like, I, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't in the same room with him when I did my, my, uh, segment, you know, it all happened off camera. I was separate. So I did, I never got to be in the same room with Dave. So working with him was just, he was on camera and I saw him and, uh, and I had to respond to his response on camera. A, a weird anecdote about it was I asked to meet Dave. I asked the producer, could I meet Dave, you know, after the show was over? And he was like, no, Dave doesn't, um, Dave doesn't really meet his guests or the people that are on the show. He does it all on the stage, but and then when he leaves the stage, he wants to be alone. So no visits to his dressing room or anything was possible. So although I played his son in the show, I never even got to meet the guy, um, which I, I thought was kind of lame yeah. and a reflect and kind of a reflection of, of him as a person in a way. And, you know, and, and it's one thing to say, I guess they were like, well, you know, this is how he works and this is, he takes it very seriously, the job and it's not, and it's like, well, easy. Okay. You know, it's, he's not fucking building a space shuttle here. All right. It's like not, <laughs> this isn't coal mining. Okay. This isn't some dangerous job where afterward you're like, wow, I barely survived. I really need to have a drink and really decompress, you know, this is a fucking talk show. And most of the people he's talked to on his show, he's talked to before, you know, the guy could do the show with his eyes closed probably. So is the pressure that bad? I don't think so. Really. Um, the, there was more pressure on me than him for crying out loud. I had never done that shit before, you know? So like, why not meet me? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> so that's what I took from that. I, I hate the bad mouth Dave. I, I really think he's a special person and his, what he brought to talk shows was something that had never been seen before. And he was definitely a pioneer and I respect him for that. But I think it was lame that he didn't meet me at the end of the day. At the end of the day, it's his loss, Jonesy, isn't it? He didn't meet you. Well, thank you, James, for saying so. Because why? I'm a I'm a very likable person, easy to get along with. I like to think maybe I could have brought something positive to his day. Maybe I could have. Maybe I could have. Uh, you know, if the pressure's so big on his day, maybe I could have brought some laughter to him and made him feel a little more calm at the end of the day in his dressing room. Maybe we could have smoked a nice joint together and really, you know had some fun father-son time, and he would have enjoyed that moment. But no, no, he turned it down, so whatever. <laughs> so, Jonesy, wrapping up, if you think back to the beginning of your comedy career or your acting career, what gift would you have given yourself and at the start of that journey to get to where you are now? Uh, it's a gift that like you, I could never give to myself because it happens over time and it happens in everybody's own time. And, but just the gift would have been more, um, more awareness, uh, more cultural awareness and more awareness of the social forces that influence my, my decisions in the very beginning. 
mostly career wives, you know, um, I grow, I grew up in the United States where every youth is, uh, is taught to believe that you must go to college out of high school. You must choose a career that makes the utmost money as possible, regardless of whether that career is, uh, intrinsically valuable or not. So as such, I made decisions coming out of high school, all based on money and career and college as well. And I ended up wasting some years of my life and accruing a student loan that's um, not easy to pay off and something I don't use to this day. Uh, I was fooled into believing that I had to do those things to be a successful human being and have a successful life rather than listen to the voice inside me, which was that I'm clearly an artist. Um, and although you need to have some business acumen as an artist to make it, at the end of the day, you know, devoting your life to art does not require you to go to college. It requires you to begin your art and to do it to your heart's content every day. And finally, Jonesy, where can people find out more about you and what you do? Oh, all right. Well, I'm always uh, sharing my Instagram mostly because I'm on there quite a bit. I'm posting all the time. It's uh, at Funny Jones on Instagram. Funny Jones, which is funny. It's like funny bones, but yeah, with a J. It's very um, good. I also, thank you. Thank you. So clever. <laughs> uh, and I have a website, jonesy.com as well. And then uh, my, my podcast, because these, you know, I'm not doing stand up right now, and I don't know when that's going to be coming back. And I'm not acting right now because I'm not allowed to gather with people. So I don't know when that's going to come back. So really the only thing I'm doing right now ongoing and that I'll never stop is the podcast five days a week, weird AF news, which you can find on any of your podcast listeners and five shows a week. And they're about 20 minutes, 25 minutes long. And that that's something I'm, that's going to be ongoing despite the pandemic, because I'm, I'm recording in a closet at my house. <laughs> <laughs> Jonesy, thanks so much for taking some time out to come and talk to me today. It's been great. Oh, James, this has been a lovely conversation and I appreciate you um, exposing me to, to your audience. I hope that they were able to get some value out of this and I hope that they'll uh, give my podcast a chance and look me up online and uh, check out what I'm about. And if they like it, then please follow me. And, uh, but I appreciate the opportunity today, man. I really, really do. Thank you so much. No worries. It's been a pleasure. Thanks again for listening to this episode of You Really Shouldn't Have. Be sure to subscribe to us on your chosen podcast service to make sure you never miss another episode. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Bad Gifts Pod, as well as online at badgiftspod.com. <laughs>